Bite Size Insights with Kantar Australia. Hi everybody, it's Jared from Kantar with another episode of Bite Size Insights uh, and today we're talking about Brand Z. So uh, if you don't know Brand Z, it's the world's biggest brand building platform and it's our methodology for valuing the world's biggest, most valuable brands. Um, We've uh, just released the top 40 Australian list, and I'm here with Ryan France. Hello, Jared. The executive director of brand strategy for Cantor. And, and Ryan, so we just delivered the top 40 uh, Australian brands. What are some of the, the things that people should learn from that? First of all, what makes a strong brand? Um, so how do, you, how do we get into the top 40? What makes, aside from its financial value and its tangible assets, what Brand Z is doing is measuring the consumer's relationship with that brand in terms of is it meaningful, is it distinctive or different, and is it salient? Um, brands that tick those boxes, um, they improve their chances of being selected in the buying situation. So they're more valuable brands. And so um, that's what we've looked at and we've seen which of those brands tick those boxes in Australia. Yeah. And, uh, and any of those things more important than the others? What, what's, uh, what's the perspective? Ah, well, good probing question, Jared. So uh, in the event, we did point out that if you want to be a brand that's resilient to disruption and if you want to be a brand that goes from where you are now and actually grows, um, it's meaningful and difference that are more important than salience. Salience is almost trading on past fame um, and past recognition. But um, if you have a disruptive brand that comes in with a, with a different proposition, um, salience doesn't protect you from that kind of disruption. And, and as I said, on the flip side, on the more positive side, it's not a basis for growth either. So um, meaning and difference is the answer to that question, Jared. Yeah, makes, makes sense. And I mean, we spent a good portion of the event uh, arguing with each other back and forth uh, we did. About, about marketing levers that you can pull to achieve that, yes. those goals. Uh, and, and I argued for the practical side of things, pragmatist that I am about innovation and, and uh, the way that people actually experience the brand. Yes, yes. And on the flip side of that, I argued for the more right-brained, uh, hippie up in the sky with the fairies type thing of, of brand purpose and brand love. And what Brand Z allows us to do is say, you know, of those four marketing levers, so to repeat them, innovation, brand experience, uh, brand purpose and brand love, investing in those things, what outcomes will that produce from a growth perspective? And, and not just theoretically, but what do we see happen with Australian brands? So that's the data that we looked at. Yeah. And, and of course, I won. More people, more people thought they should invest in innovation and experience. Yes, but how did we determine that? The consumer told us. <laughs> so, yes, you did win, but the consumer was the arbiter. And that's, I suppose that's the important thing about Brand Z. It gives us a consumer perspective to provide an objective answer to those questions. And as you say, in Australia, we see that brands that do innovation and brand experience well, um, they're the ones that outperform. Yeah, and and I, I do think that a lot of the reason why I wonder why there's an, an appetite in that space is that brand experience has been quite focal. People have been trying to get their experience up to par, but it also, there's a bit of an innovation gap in Australia. And we saw this last year at Brands, you can see this this year as well. There's not that many Australian brands, Australian born brands are seen as particularly innovative. Yeah. And you have some new players like Afterpay coming in and really sort of shaking up that model and shaking up the banks, shaking up credit, uh, and seen as massively innovative and, and will be the most innovative brand in the country. But yeah. A lot of brands actually don't don't have that, so I think it's focal because there's there's headroom there. Yeah, and so uh, if I'm going to argue for brand purpose in the context context of what you've just said, um, the Brand Z data does show us that brands that that do innovation with purpose outperform brands that do innovation with no purpose. So I suppose there is a kind of meaningless innovation or a purposeless innovation, um, but if you couple it with purpose and and give that um, sense of why am I innovating, not just for innovation's sake, then brands that do that are more successful. Um, the other point with purpose is if you 
don't have any innovation, and innovation is hard to come by. You know, not every one of us has great pipelines, or we're not first to market, or sometimes to catch up takes a bit of a while. Um, purpose can give a brand momentum in the absence of that, and the, the data has shown us that as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes absolute sense, and I think I think Afterpay is an example of that. I'll talk to the young people around here. Yes. You know, not not old fogies like us. They'll tell you that Afterpay is the credit card of their generation, which is a fundamentally interesting thing. There's a purpose to that. Yeah. What they're trying to yeah. achieve. No, absolutely. And so then, if I'm arguing for brand purpose, and you're saying, well, that sounds a bit woolly. How about brand experience? What were the data points that you were putting behind that? Yeah, I mean, brand experience really is is about how people feel after interacting with you, right? So does, does, does it, is the experience good, I suppose, as a, a, a table stake? No, it has to be good for everyone all the time at all these touch points, every time you buy and every time you interact and, and every time you contact. But I think brand experience is becoming more about, uh, is it unique, right? Is it, is it something that only you could deliver in that sort of way? Mm. And, and it was interesting because we went from purpose into love and you were saying, well, you know, Nike and Billabong would make two very different airport lounges if they were airlines. And yep. I think that that is so fundamental to what the purpose is or what the experience is rather is, is uh, it's not just about what you do, but about how you do it. Exactly. So, I mean, Brand Z shows us that brands that deliver a good experience, they grow. They grow faster than those that don't, right? But the role of love within that is to say, well, this is the kind of brand that I am. Uh, whether people love the brand or not, they like it or positive predisposition towards it will help it be chosen. And it's what makes my brand different to another. So if I'm going to bring that to life through a brand experience, I need to know why people love or like my brand. and. You know, a brand that's loved for being in the Nike example, for being an aspirational, assertive, successful, competitive sort of a brand, they need to deliver that in their brand experience, um, which is different from, say, you know, we talked about Kmart and we talked about, what else, Rolex, um, Chanel. These are loved brands in Australia, but they need, they're loved for different reasons and they need a different brand experience to. And they are fundamentally different. I think I suppose what all of them do well is that their experience is already good and it's already consistent, right? So there is an element of, well, you, you can't really build a house on sand. Yep. And the, those experiences align with the expectations I have for the brand. So we mentioned chatbots as an example. Everyone's creating chatbots. But, you know, a Rolex chatbot should have a different name and a different persona from a Kmart chatbots because, you know, they're opposite and people expect different experiences. And it's not just any generic chatbot which will deliver a brand a good quality experience that, that gives it growth, right? Yeah, I don't think people necessarily think about that. I think often the, the digital side of your businesses or the innovation side, the AI side of the business is somewhat sequestered from everybody else. Uh, yeah. And a, a business delivering stuff and building models. But I'm not sure people are necessarily thinking about how that feels. That's right. So if you can break down some silos and say, let's invite the digital team and the brand experience guys to our brand love workshop, which happens too rarely for for my liking, um, then we could actually, you know, deliver that brand idea uh, through all of our touch points and, and brands. And, the, and the, the data says so. In terms of which one of those pillars wins, we did say that, or that the data says that innovation and brand experience are the most important. But it's actually the brands that do all of those things that that outperform those that don't by by a factor of five, five times better performance. It's a pretty big margin, and, we, and certainly we're arguing two sides of something where we both agree that the endpoint should be well, you should really be doing everything. <laughs> yes, yeah, well, the correct answer to the question is which do I invest in is like, where am I weak? Because yeah. the stronger you are in all of those things, the better. And if you have a great brand experience and an innovative product, then that would, you know, be, it would drive greater growth if it was supported by a brand that meant something to people. So it's almost as though you should take your brand's context into account before you make decisions like this. Indeed, indeed, <laughs> yeah, I, I, would, I would say that. And we came up with the phrase, uh, 
I don't think I'd used it before our presentation this morning, the idea of whole-brained branding. I don't know if that's going to catch on, but that's the left brain plus the right brain. Either hemisphere on its own is not as effective as a system in, in its wholeness, right? So holistic branding is... Which is one of those common sense ideas which is probably not as commonsensical as we'd like it to be. Indeed, indeed. So objective basis to have that conversation now and, um, you know, it's nice to have 2019 fresh data to be able to explore that with clients and, you know, how are you going on these things and uh, who are the best performers in Australia. And, and then being able to take that to the, the global out of category view as well, right? Because everyone wants to know if they're as innovative as Apple or as, as, uh, as loved as Facebook. Exactly right. And, and to be able to say, look, brand purpose in global terms is actually having a bigger impact than it is in our market. What might be behind that? I mean, that's an interesting question that the data has now allowed us to ask as of this morning. So. We're going to have fun for the next 12 months playing with that. Yeah, it does, it does feel like this idea of bringing the digital guys and bringing the AI people and putting them all in one place for this brand love. A, a bit of a, we should have a love-in. We should have a love-in, We yes, could host love-ins with pizza and pyjamas. <laughs> That's right, get these guys, take their ties off, tie them around their heads <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah, have a love-in. So that's, yeah. that's our advice, we'll, is it? We'll, we'll, I think we'll, we'll offer that as a, as a product in 2020. <laughs> love-in workshops. Love-in workshops. Right, we'll go back and create those now. <laughs> I mean, I think that, that's it for today. So thanks everyone for, for listening in. Thanks, Ryan, for for being here and until next time on Bite Size Insight. Thanks, Jared.